0: Hey, this is Jose Ignacio Alfaro, producer of Are We Still Talking About This? Jessica and Adam are on separate sabbaticals. Jessica is completing her annual winter residency as Grand Duke Henry's ornithological consultant at Luxembourg Palace. And Adam, well, according to the last geotags recorded by spurious social media accounts, is covered in brackish filth near a Peruvian enclave adjacent to the Amazon River Basin. On New Year's Eve, however, I received the following missive. Dearest Jose, as a gift for those who have fully embraced Pope Gregory XII and his preposterous non-lunar calendar, please present our conversation with Jonathan Ames to consecrate the fabrication of a new year. Also, in honor of Mr. Ames's sapient explication of the confluence of psychoanalytics and Buddhism, we would like, in an exercise of ornamental ego obliteration, to be completely removed from this interview. Only Ames's wisdom and healing voice shall remain. The film based on Ames' most recent book, You Were Never Really Here, stars Joaquin Phoenix and is now available on Amazon. Stick around till after the interview for a clip from a phone call that Jessica and Adam had with legendary filmmaker Larry Clark. Links to Ames's projects, as well as other works and concepts discussed, can be found in the episode description and on our westilltalking.com. So without further ado... Here's Jessica and Adam's conversation with Jonathan Ames, novelist, screenwriter, shaman. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.
1: Sex is so difficult for everyone. If you have the privilege of basically having more or less an easy life, let's say, all your troubles can go into the sexual arena. And it's almost really not so much about sex. It's about psychology and and pain and trauma. Um, I think as I've worked on myself a lot, I I do Freudian analysis, um, the obsessional power of these things from childhood has lessened. And in part, I went into analysis to lessen these things in my unconscious that were causing me to behave in ways that I didn't necessarily want to behave or ways that weren't productive. I think I was doing a lot of running from myself for much of my life. A lot of running, a lot of confusion. Later in life now, I really have worked on these things, so I'm not, not a slave to them, so that I might have a chance for connection with another. Now, the main thing you have to work towards is connection with self. If you can have a connection with self, know yourself, have compassion for yourself, acknowledge these strange things, maybe not be frightened by them, then maybe you can then love and have compassion for another. Like my dog who's sitting so beautifully yes. on on Jessica's lap right now. He's got the most amazing profile. And sometimes when he turns his head and looks at me over his shoulder, he's like, uh, I think it's a painting by Vermeer of a young woman looking over her shoulder even though he's uh, a boy yeah you guys were talking about your early erotic experiences I had a very strange one pornographically which is that one of the first things I came across and I had a late puberty which caused all sorts of mental trauma I was almost 16 but I was about 15 and a half I found in my parents book collection a book called Psychopathia Sexualis uh, which was written in the 19th century by a man named Richard von kraft Ebbing. And he was actually Freud's superior. And what he did in Psychopathia Sexualis, he was the first person to sort of study sex in that of classifying, let's say, just for an easy word, perversions. And, you know, or all the troublesome routes that sex could misshape a life as we see so much in our culture. And so he was uh, the first person to uh, come up with the phrase sadomasochism based on uh, the 19th century writer uh, Massach. Anyway, so I read this book at 15 and a half, reading about the strangest things. And one of the first things that I was drawn to, maybe because I was on some cusp of this late puberty was gender transformation. And in this book was this incredible letter that a man had written, a doctor had written to Croft-Ebbing. And the letter began like this. Imagine my surprise when I woke up one morning and found myself to be transformed into a woman. Now, I feel that Kafka read this You know, because the translation of the Kraft ebbing which was written in German, the translations of Kafka's The Metamorphosis, which were written in German, were so similar. And I think Kafka was probably, you know, not plagued, but maybe very uh, intrigued by issues of identity, of course. And uh, so I think that was an early thing that I was quite drawn to was, what am I? Who am I? you know, and we are a mix of male and female and, you know, and to maybe to embrace all of that. And I I don't know, I'm speaking in generalities and I'm managing someone out in this podcast audience listening and not quite what's he saying exactly. (laughs) But anyway, that was an early obsession of mine was gender, but also I think uh, wondering who am I? And, I'm getting a little closer to that later in life. But, I mean, we we never fully figure anything out, which is sort of what keeps us going, maybe. I think I'm obsessed with letting go of my pain. And one thing I like to do, and I've been telling people, is, and I've been trying to meditate more, but that's a way to just sort of be calmer in your mind so that on the course of a day... Like, if you practice meditation, then almost like sports or something, in the day maybe you're, you could be more calm as things happen, not be as reactive. But a little shortcut meditation technique that I've been doing in this obsession to let go of pain is to take a very hot bath with a candle. Sounds very fay, and, um, and then I lie on my bed on two towels on top of the bed. And my dog often comes and licks some of the excess water, but it's fine. And I just lie there and I try to let go of everything. My fears, my concerns, my dreams, my thinking about politics, any notions, any biases, resentments, physical issues. I just try to let it all go. Let it release from my body like spores. And then I really like that feeling I get when I've released all these spores it doesn't last very long because stuff just wants to come back in little thinking concerns maybe you reach for the damn slave machine the phone but in that moment when I am just this body and some core self I I really have a nice peace and I think that's something I've been obsessed with of late is to feel that and always to know that's with me at all times. I've been sort of like reading nonstop for three years various Buddhist texts, primarily Pema Chodron, who's very popular. It's almost like a DNA helix, Buddhism and analysis. Because in analysis, you lie on a couch, you don't look at the therapist, and you are sort of free associating. So you're trying to bring out all these things that sort of maybe rest in your body and rest in your mind. The, the, the combination of the two, because both of them seem to be about taking responsibility for your feelings, taking responsibility for your life, having compassion for your feelings, having compassion for your life, and then with the idea that you could then be out in the world and engage the world more, get greater meaning from the world, and be, be able to give to others more because you're less wrapped in vines in yourself. So even though analysis might seem like a self-centered act, it's about trying to move out of self-centeredness, just as Buddhism is about trying to move out of self-centeredness because the more you're attached to notions of yourself or any kind of attachment, the more pain you'll be in. And the more pain you're in, the less able you're to be present for your life and for those around you who you might be able to help. So one thing, one piece of advice I'd give people is People have patterns or repetitions, behaviors that they engage in, which they think bring them pleasure, but really it's pain. And, but there might be a moment of pleasure, and, and they kind of know that this repetition, whether it be alcohol, sex, cocaine, watching TV, looking at your phone, uh, speaking poorly of others, there's a million different ways that something that we think will bring us pleasure actually bring, brings us greater pain. Now, the other thing to just deal with fears, and, and it's a hard thing to do, but let's say you're obsessing about someone that's hurt your feelings or you're obsessing about an ex or something. Rather than do all the thinking about it, all the storytelling about it, try to just breathe in the sensation of it, whatever how that feels. Like the way, just the oppressive anxiety, just sort of breathe it in. Don't try to push the pain away. Actually breathe it in. And don't try to push it, just breathe in the feeling. And then on the exhale, send to yourself almost like sort of a washing machine or some kind of thing with arrows going in a circle. Send to yourself a notion of well-being. And then breathe in that pain again, just that pain of that obsession about the X. Just breathe it in. Don't be scared of it. Don't have a million thoughts. Don't go on Facebook and try to spot them. Breathe in the pain and then exhale yourself well being And as you breathe in the pain, you realize it's made up of nothing, you know, that all the pain is mostly in the thinking. And so if you just sort of face it and don't try to do a million things to f- go crazy you can let it go more quickly. And then also when after maybe two or three times of taking care of yourself that way, you then might send out into the world trying to be, be your own sort of goofy radio transmitter a notion of well-being to someone else out there and there are many others who are probably suffering with the same kind of pain. Now, let's say recently, you know, I'm anxious about money again. So to just sort of breathe in that feeling and, and then send out well-being because millions of people are anxious about money or if your parent upsets you in some way, breathe in that feeling, breathe in the pain and then imagine sort of well-being or peace or however you think might be a a, a better state of mind but also send that out to others because there's so many others suffering in exactly the same way that you're suffering at that moment. Another cool thing I've been doing lately and it's a Buddhist concept called Tonglen which is sort of what I'm talking about T-O-G-L-E-N is Let's say you go out in the world and mostly you find other people alienating or intrusive or weird or whatever. You don't want to deal with people. If you could just flip your eyes a moment and look at every person, let's say, in a restaurant or a bar or a cafe or on the subway or on a plane, every person has so much their own pain, whether it be with a parent, a relationship, a secret physical maladies, obsessions. And you look at them for a moment and you realize, oh, they're just like me. And you realize that every person could be really fascinating if they talked about maybe the things that they struggle with. And so for a moment, when you pass every person, and, and you can also do it with the homeless people you see or just any human being, you try to breathe in their pain for a moment. And you don't know what it is, but you can just sort of sense with everyone, like you're talking about years of having gotten caught in some kind of sexual loop because it meant something to you at an early age and then keeps you apart from others. And this is a pain you carry because you want connection. I'm looking at you right now and you're nodding and he's got sweet eyes, this fellow, green eyes. You know, one time I was with a girlfriend, I don't know, for a year or two, and I think I was so obsessed with myself and didn't even know it. She said to me, what color are my eyes? And I didn't know. This was years ago, so Grandfather Claus. You know what I mean in terms of my humanity. <laughs> um, but I loved her in other ways. But maybe I didn't look at her eyes because I was scared to. So anyway, that's the thing. It's interesting to sort of exchange yourself for others. And, and then also, there's a, a Buddhist slogan, be grateful for everyone. Like, I'm about to go to a wedding and i'll probably be scared socially but then maybe if i could remember which i probably won't be interested in every person you meet they're all so fascinating and what might you learn from them so these are some of my thoughts some of my some bit of my advice and suggestions i sound like i know something whereas yesterday after a nap i was plunged into despair and fear and and you think oh my god i'm going to be in pain my whole life and then you know, a few hours later, it lifts. We have to remember that everything changes all the time. Our moods are like these clouds. They'll just keep moving. I, I once wrote in one of my essays, I was doing something bad in this idea that I mentioned of thinking that something is pleasure, but really it's pain. It's almost like a some kind of little trick by some sort of devil. Hey, this is pleasure, but actually it's pain, you know? And so I was... In some woods in Florence, Italy, in the 90s, in, in some park, and I was watching prostitutes solicit men, and I was standing behind a tree late at night, seeking, confused. I was wanting to jump in the Arno, and I was drinking a beer that I had bought, and I had it in my—carrying beers in my pocket or something— I felt some peace, though, because I was always worried about getting in trouble. And I'm like, I'm in trouble. So now, you know what I mean? It must be how Trump feels all the time. But at the same time, and nothing happened that night. And actually, I think some prostitute came and spoke to me. And it was sort of a a sweet verbal exchange of sorts. That was the thing. In my walking into dark areas when I was younger, I often countered maybe, I think, I don't necessarily believe in angels, but I was sort of protected. And it was very much like that Tennessee Williams line, I, I've relied on the kindness of strangers. And because sometimes I'd be really destroyed, I would destroy myself. I was addicted to self-destruction, and strangers often helped me. I was once found under a car on Eldridge Street, probably in like 1993, And the bartender, he knew me, but he saw my feet sticking out from underneath this car like the Wicked Witch or something. (laughs) And he and his Icelandic girlfriend gathered me. It was the middle of winter, and I I had gone on some crazy drinking binge and had sort of collapsed and crawled under a car for shelter. And they saw my feet sticking out, and then they took me home, and then I vomited all over their apartment. (laughs) And this this Icelandic woman was so kind. She's like, we're used to this in my country because we drink so much, it's so dark. The thing is, we we learn from our, our suffering. You know, all this neurosis and pain is actually money in the bank for you to wake up and become a more compassionate human being. So your sexual troubles, your fears, like I said, this is this is your gold, this is your wealth, because you can take it and and become more awake, and then also be there for others, as you see them try to deal with their bank accounts of pain. Yeah, enjoy your pain, but maybe don't be scared of it, and and use it to wake yourself up, you know? And then also, I'm big into psychosomatic pain. People have a lot of physical issues that manifest because they're not dealing with their feelings. So when your lower back hurts, that's a a little flag, like, hey, there's something I'm not looking at. Or your shoulders hurt, or if you have indigestion, or if you're breaking out a lot. Usually these things are repressed emotion, and they're a chance for you to take a look at what's going on in your mind. Your your body is trying to send you a message. So along those lines, I highly recommend a book called Healing Back Pain, The Mind-Body Connection by Dr. John E. Sarno, uh, who passed away. There's also a documentary about him called All the Rage, which I happen to be in, along with Howard Stern and Larry David, all of whom had tremendous amounts of psychosomatic pain, and then read Sarno's book, And it lifted because you realize there's probably nothing wrong with your back. There's nothing wrong with your shoulders. But we learn at an early age that usually anger is not an emotion we want to deal with. So, the body, what it'll do is just cut off the flow of oxygen to certain muscles. And you get so distracted by these spasms, and the pain is real that you're just, you can actually then cripple yourself. And a little bit like your thing do I want to be punished or do I expect to be punished? It's a combination of both. Yeah, as soon as I start talking about that, people usually shift around because they hold so much pain in their bodies. But anyway, yeah, so learn from your suffering. But check out Dr. Sarno, anyone out there, or the documentary All the Rage, and check out the books of Pema Chaudron. A lot of times people like to start with the book when things fall apart, but I love all her books. I've read like 10 of them, and I read and reread them because I keep learning new things. I also... I uh, also sometimes morbidly feel like, well, I'm I'm just sort of waiting to die, <laughs> you know, like just. But that that's not true. Today I feel sort of optimistic. It's so beautiful. The sky nice. right now looks fantastic. Yeah. I I was with my great aunt in her last moments, uh, and end up doing like a six day vigil. And she was someone I was very close to, and she was uh, 101, and um, and I was alone with her when she went and I just wanted her to take one more breath. I didn't want her to, I didn't encourage her to let go because I saw how much she still wanted to live even until her last moments. So I think having been right there, she was here and then she wasn't here. I wonder what my last moment will be like and where will I be? And will I be alone? Will someone be with me? Or will it happen suddenly and tragically and, you know, grotesquely?
0: And now, the director behind Kids, Larry Clark. Because all he's thinking about is supposed to be, you know, I mean, that's all he thinks about. It. He's not doing drugs, he's not getting fucked up he's just thinking about pussy. And I think the guys that that get a lot of girls and are thinking about it all the time uh, don't have to be like the, the handsome uh, Hollywood type at all.
1: Planning for your next trip?